Hello and welcome to episode 124 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast focused on the latest decks, trends, strategies, and legends for the casual spike. My name is Stanislav here in Chicago, and with me on the line from legendary Denver, Colorado, it's the one and only Shane Beeps. Stan, uh, this doesn't affect our episode at all, but I I apologize, video people, if you watch this, that Stan's amazing intro that it's the same every episode got cut off. So we're good now. The, the, The listeners can hear you. The audience can hear you, rather. But, you know, before they didn't. Very confusing. Also with us, the Godfather, Dave Harbarger. Mr. Legendary. <laughs> it's, it's a legendary podcast. It's a good thing that I like dairy as much as I do. And ledges. Are you a dairyman? Oh, man, cheese, ice cream. You know how I roll. Dave, do you miss United Dairy Farmers? Because I do. No, not at all. Oh, not at all. That. <laughs> That was not a great place, I don't believe. Although they had Superman decent ice cream, they had decent ice cream. But yeah, was this an ice cream spot that you all shared growing up? It's a convenience so, store in Southern yes. Ohio. Did they have them in Lakewood too? Yeah, yeah, we went there all the time. Like we went there all, all the time for like ice cream after stuff. I did not. I only started going when it was around the corner from my house in in college in Cincinnati. They had malts. I live by Mally's. Why would I go to UDF when I could go to Mally's instead, man? Uh, and sit in that weird Alice in Wonderland room that they had. Any, no, any only people from Cleveland from the eighties will know what I'm talking about. But it's there. It was there. It was real. Ah, <laughs> uh, to live in the Cleve. It was a Wonderland. <laughs> On this week's episode, we're trying something a little different. In the wake of last week's legendary announcements, we wanted to get an episode to you as soon as possible, and that's why you're hearing this week's show on Tuesday, May 11th. Which means we put together this episode with fewer notes, but a lot more ambition, and all we're doing is one extra long breakdown, reacting to Thursday's Summer of Legend stream, talking about some of the cards that they shared, and other details we learned about magic to come. But before all that, though, let's housekeep. No new patrons or reviews this week, but that's okay. If you'd like to be a patron, you can find us over at patreon.com slash the dive down. We'll read your name on the show. We'll chat with you in the Slack. We'll send you some swag. You can also support the show via Manitraders by signing up with coupon code the dive down, all one word, and get 15% off your first three months of Magic Online service. We get a little kickback, and frankly, we just love Mana Traders. Yeah, the best. They kept us going since day one, basically. I, I heard that they, they texted you today. Yeah, they got my number. They said, you up? You up, boo? <laughs> <laughs> Come through, Stan. And Stan was like, new phone, who dis? They're like, I want my Sedgemore witches back, Stan. Basically, yeah. That's one of the great things about them. Sometimes when you forget, they just shoot you a text message so you remember. And I think that's very nice and convenient, I, you know. Totally. I put down my raw salmon that I was cooking, ran over to my Dell, fired up MTGO. The last way to support the show is with Untapped. You don't even have to spend any money, but if you use Arena and you'd like to track your ladder constructed play experience, you can download the free deck tracking software over at untapped.thedivedown.com. It's nice. We use it. Check it out. The Summer of Legends has arrived. And uh, yeah, Summer Legend, you guys, uh, they kind of hyped this one up. We're just going to keep hitting that joke over and over again. That like not even joke over and over again. I mean, that's what it's, it's literally called the Summer of Legend. 
It has pretty cool, like, retro future branding. It looks like a contemporary indie game. Well, it reminds me a little bit of Beach Boy's Endless Summer for some reason. Uh, oh, yeah. And, you know, in being a typeface that is clearly not Cooper Black, but makes me feel the same feelings I have when I see Cooper Black a little bit, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a well-chosen typeface. It's got cool vector style, you know, simple graphics, some nice parallax looking stuff. I'm into it. But yeah, so they kind of hyped up this announcement. How, how many days did they give us heads up? Like three, four? I forget when they first were like, big legendary announcement coming next Thursday. Three or four sounds good. Let's roll with that. <laughs> okay, we're rolling with it. They gave us 3.5 days. Heads up. Did you guys watch this? How many? Did you guys all watch this live? Not only did I watch it, I moved a meeting so that I could watch it. <laughs> Are you serious? I thought it was going to be a big deal. Yeah, it was a casual internal meeting, but yeah. Huh. It was a big you, pitch to our biggest client, and I was like, sorry, Johnson, there's a stream I got to watch. Twitch chat's going to have some good takes. I know you're going to be there in the stream, too, so I'm just going to send you my deck via the Twitch chat stream, and you can you can check it out. We can chat about it. I'm sure that the people from Crokey's chat have a lot to say about my my SEO and SEM metrics. Did both Johnsons take the move of the, the meeting well, Stan? Yeah, Robert Johnson and... Uh, Bob Johnson. That's the, Yeah, both of them. So... I missed the first few minutes of this, Dave, but I did. Uh, I kind of had it on the background. Can I tell you my all-star parenting moment that went with this? So I picked my kids up from school, so I missed the first like 10 minutes. Um, and then they were playing out in the backyard, and I just popped in at the old Airbud and just uh, had had it on my phone and, and just let them run around while I watched uh, Blake. You know, love that man. <laughs> just had to get, get the Blake in. <laughs> I can't engage with you, children. I'm listening to Blake. There's dragons. It's Tiamat. He's back. It's back. So, yeah, so I, I think the first few minutes of this actually started out with a promo for the D&D video game Dark Alliance, which is, sure, valid cross-promotion. Not exactly what I'm hoping to see out of the gates on a ostensible Magic the Gathering stream, but they got through that quickly, and we were fast into Modern Horizons 2 spoilers and information, which is good. That's what we're here for. Modern Horizons 2, well, that's just going to revitalize this podcast, right? I mean, just take it out of the doldrums in which we have found ourselves for months and months. Oh, wait, we've had Historic. And Modern's been pretty cool, too. So let's talk about some important dates they gave us. May 24th, full previews begin. Full set is announced June 2nd. So be prepared for our mostly complete set review to drop sometime that first week of June. June 3rd. I it's guess, available magic online. I guess I'm going to have to get prepared for that because where is that going to fit in my schedule that week to do a four hour episode or whatever we're going to do there? Uh, I Maybe there'll just be a lot of reprints. Maybe it's just like, not only are we reprinting Fetchlands, we're reprinting Tarmogoyf <laughs> again. Um, but June 3rd, that set's available on magic online. Be sure to watch Aspiring Spike stream something wild day one. Uh, June 11th through the 17th is the pre-release week. Gets you some webcam options on Spell Table. I did not know they were doing this. That's pretty cool. Uh, some in-store play as well. More on that a little bit later. June 18th with a worldwide release. Modern Horizons 2 is going to feature stuff it didn't have last time. We've got draft boosters and set boosties. We've got collector boosties. We've got bundle options, which is what? Just boxed packs, right? It's like the old fat pack style thing and then pre-release packs because there will be paper options for pre-release again we will talk about this in a bit i noticed the art on the collector's boosters looks vaguely reminiscent of like the Acoria 
comic style art. It's really colorful, really bright. I'm curious if that's kind of like what it's going to be across all of them. We did see a version of a card in Modern Horizons 2 that did not look like this. And again, we'll talk about that in a second. So I'm curious how many kind of interesting art variants they're going to have in Horizons 2. Uh, I just, I mean, I hope it's cool because the more variants we have, the more different ways we have to spend our money on these packs. Well, and the cheaper the cards are, honestly, like the normal That's cards are cheaper, too. the more other stuff there is generally. That's a good point. Yeah. The more kind of different ways that people have to you know, chase certain variants and things like that, then hopefully the lower the cost of the, the base cards. And speaking of those. Hey, as long as we're talking about the packaging. They showed the art on the regular, I think, set boosters of Modern Horizons. Very reminiscent of Dacon Blackblade. Uh, in that it almost certainly definitely is Dacon Blackblade, for sure. He's a uh, Esper legend human warrior from the set Legends. Legend? Dairy, yeah. Yeah. I, is this our first legend from our legendary announcements? I think in our timeline it is, for sure. So out of the box... Speaking of stuff that we hope is cheaper than it is now, we got the five enemy fetch lands back with thankfully the same art that they've had since Zendikar because I need those new ones to match my sort of mismatched sets that I have right now. I think I have like three Verdant Catacombs and maybe like two Marsh Flats. So at least they won't look quite as weird to get new ones in there. The set symbol is enough to tilt me. I hate mismatched set symbols. Oh, see, I don't even look. I don't really even look at that. I don't care. Dave, do you look? Uh, I very much do not care. I'm, you know me. I mix foils and non-foils. Like I'm, I'm a wild man when it comes to my card playsets, especially of rares and mythics. Like I'm not, I don't want to spend extra money. <laughs> but I mean, this is good. I mean, this is just flat out good. The enemy, the, all the fetch lands are expensive. The enemy fetch lands are especially expensive. Uh, I know like Verdant Catacombs is like, what, like a $60 card. It's very floor. Some of the other ones are more expensive. Misty Rainforest. Uh, what's the other one that's expensive? Scalding Tarn, maybe? Never heard of it. I don't I don't really know what that card does. But what's interesting, too, is they're going to have extended art versions that we have been seeing printed in recent sets. And perhaps surprisingly... I'm not surprised about this at all. You're not. You're not surprised. I'm. 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 Let's talk about this retro frame versions of these cards as well, so you can get your old frame fetches and other cards in Modern Horizons Two are coming in these old frame versions. It is not just a time spiral remastered thing, y'all. They did not waste time. They just kept this ball rolling, and it's not like they even waited to see if people liked it <laughs> yeah. from TSR because this had had to be finalized. And it, you know, at the printer, and so it's not like they were like, well, let's let's just see if people like these these old borders. They were just like, we're we're doing this. This is the new. This is perhaps the new normal. Uh, what's your opinion on this? It's the new special. You think this is what this is just the new universal special? I think that not- this is going to come up occasionally for things that people know are staples across lots of different formats. So. Why not? I mean, I think it's cool. People love their lands to be old bordered. Remember that this cycle started out in old border. So yeah, the onslaught fetches. Yeah, the onslaught fetches were old border. So why not? It's a fun thing. I have a hunch that these are the only cards that are going to be old border in order to complete the old border cycle of fetches. We already saw other ones. Which other ones? Oh yeah, we have seen other ones already. That's true. Yeah, they some of the cards that they spoiled they showed in old border already as well. Yeah, on on stream they showed old border ones already. So theory. 
busted myth busted <laughs> legend busted yeah my Kiefer in uh our slack asked our opinion on more of these old border cards getting printed i'll give you my general take it's cool but that sure makes me feel like tsr was a lot less special like i really kind of thought this was like a one-off that only times probably was going to have kind of like the kaladesh inventions or something like that where it's like you're going to get this treatment on these cards not for like you know what five six years or something like that like mm-hmm. you know, it's not quite as special as a as a masterpiece but it certainly felt like something that i thought was going to be special to that set and now it's kind of like well why don't i why don't i buy those those times for our master boxes like this is it doesn't feel like it's going anywhere but it's not the same cards so i really don't know what you're complaining about that's that's really weird that's weird. Well, it's, well, it's kind of like, even though it's not the same cards, it's kind of like these cards got printed in this fashion and therefore they're going to have a certain special character to the people who want to play these cards. And while I agree, it's like, well, what made those cards special? Like what's so special about Sneak Weed Imp? What's so special about Lava Spike that it got the old border treatment? And you're right. I just kind of was like, I was just surprised to see it this quickly, but this is Watsy we're talking about. And when they know they have a, a good or even decent thing, they're going to they're gonna run with it. Yeah. You know how hard it is to be creative all the time? Tell them, Dave. Sometimes your best thing to do is just reuse good ideas that you already had that you know are slam dunks. Like, I'm, I'm all for this. I think, it's, I think they're good cards. I hope they pick good cards to do it for. I mean, I think the thing that's interesting is that some of the cards, the other cards that are old border from MH2 are new cards that have been designed that are going directly into modern. And that is a little more annoying to me where I'm kind of, I wish that they were all like classics. Like only classics get this this treatment, but whatever. I got to say, by the way, I'm not a person who is super in love with the old frame, even though I used to play back in the yeah. day. Like it's kind of like whatever, but I did go out and get Monastery Swift Spears in the old frame and I got Bedlam Revelers and I got, you know, so I got cards I'll never play cool. like Bedlam Reveler, you know, so. Yeah, I did. I I did an order from Russia. Someone put a lot of stuff up. Like they put a lot of time spell remastered up. They put a lot of Strixhaven. I never will remember the name of these cards and mystical archives up from from that. And I just I just I bought into a bunch of stuff and I, I definitely kept that that Russian Tron deck up to date for some stupid reason. Well now it's just like a project. Like it's just a thing you're gonna yeah, do it's just and a thing for the rest do, of your yeah. life. Yeah. Stan, what do you think about about these? I, I'm just grateful that there's more variety in printings that may be lucrative to collectors that I think as Dave alluded to helps bring down the cost of the type of cards that you find in draft boosters. And for me, that's the real value. I don't care as much about collecting. They're going to have the extended art. They're going to have some of these old, old borders. So some, some people want that, that big art. Some people want that tiny art. They have all the options, but now it's time for the real question. Yeah. Do you all need any of these fetches and is this the time that you are going to get your fetches are you doing Stan's it been very patient stan which ones do you need still of for to complete a full set the non-red ones so you need marsh flats you need verdant catacombs and you need misty yes misty rainforest yes and i think i should probably just pull the trigger get those 12 and be done with my all of my tw- all of my fetch lands yeah i mean that's what i did when when uh Master Studio came out. Yeah. yeah, I was just like, I'm doing it. Whatever it takes, I'm going to finish my set. A part of the reason why I want to get Verdant Catacombs in particular is because I bought Tarmogoyfs for cheap from Brian from Serum Visions podcast. And a little cross-pod synergy. Yeah, marketplace of ideas and yep. trading cards. 
so now that I have these Tarmogoyfs, I kind of want to play this Jun Shadow deck. Should probably get some Furtin Catacombs to do that. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's totally worth it. When I, I will say after Modern Masters 3, when I got my fetches, it opened up a whole world of impulse buying to me that was not open before where suddenly I was like, yeah, I really only need $80 to buy their other rares for this set because I have all the I have all the lands and I have all the shock lands too. So like, there you go. And they're just so frequently the most expensive part of a modern deck. And once you have mana, be it shock lands, fetch lands and and maybe some other tertiary lands you can potentially open yourself up to a lot of decks that you can kind of play interchangeably without as big of an investment uh beyond that mm-hmm. and while i feel that my financial calls on time spell were remastered were a little not great in the end because i think a lot of stuff has sat at a floor that i'm really surprised by like got a lot cheaper than i expected when modern masters 3 came out if you weren't playing then, it kind of belied previous floors that had been set. Like with Modern Masters 2 and even 1, the adage was that Modern went on sale and you had a pretty decent window to sort of buy back in and get those staples and get those cards. Modern Masters 3, you had a week when those cards floored. You had... Like Scalding Tarn was like a, what, maybe $35 or so for like a week. And then these things climbed quickly. I will, and I would imagine that what that was, how many years ago at this point? Was that four years ago? That was 2017. Yeah, it was a while. There's a lot of pent up demand. There's a lot of stands out there. Stan hosts a modern podcast and does not have a full set of enemy fetches. Uh, I think, I'm hoping that there's a good amount of supply, but the demand will also be significant here. Uh, I would watch the floor on these very carefully the first few days. I wouldn't pre-order, but I would watch the floor for a week and buy in when you see it ticking back up. Isn't there a a terminology in, in stock day trading where you have like your sell price and your buy price? Maybe have that in the back of your head. If, if the fetches reach a certain price, Maybe that's when you know it's time to pull the trigger. Right on. Like if they're $10, buy them. Exactly. Get them now. <laughs> Marsh Flats might be that. Who knows? We, we did get some spoilers, though, y'all. Not only the ones we knew with the enemy fetches, but we got some new cards that we should talk about because they, they are, strangely, modern legal. So the first card that I want to talk about is Sanctum Prelate? Prelate? I don't know what this card is called. But um, Stan, you can see on that link how all the old borders are there for oh, yeah. these cards we're going to talk about. Yeah. So Sanctum Prelate, one white, white, human cleric, 2-2. Two, two. As, as it enters the battlefield, choose a number. Non-creature spells with mana value equal to that chosen number cannot be cast. Interesting. Originally a commander card. Yeah. The, well, this no, this is from Conspiracy Take the Crown. Oh, thank you. And therefore, it was legacy legal. And as far as I know, is pretty good in legacy. I don't know if it's a powerhouse. I don't know anything about legacy, to be honest with you, besides that there are legal dual lands. But I think it's good. The initial question, of course, for everyone's mind, I think, is this good enough for modern humans? And I think not for the main deck. Like, is potential for the sideboard as like another meddling mage type effect for sure. But that the three drop area is just... is aggression it is not disruption in humans and i don't think that it it will it needs to be disruption i think that that's something you can sideboard into perhaps but i mean i know nothing maybe this card is way better than i anticipate so just to 
talk about this card real quick in Legacy. It is played in the Legacy versions of Death and Taxes and a little deck called Maverick that I believe is yeah. a sort of like, it's sort of Obzon mid-rangey value. Like we would have called it like, um, you know, it's like a creature based kind of that type style of deck. Um, I think that that's probably where it's going to make a little bit more of an initial jump into modern as well as probably in our uh, taxes kind of builds. I can see that. So in legacy taxes, it's apparently a one of. Ah. Um, I, w- I will say that the format is different in, in modern. And I think one of the things that makes it really interesting in modern is that we have Luris. So there sometimes you have indicators as soon as you start the game, what mana cost you have to worry about. And against a deck like Shadow, this seems awesome. Especially a Luris Shadow variant. I like your idea of maybe pairing it with humans just because of Kitesail Freebooter and it can serve as extra copies of Meddling Mage where you can just start to shut down the type of cards they can cast after you get a peek at their hand. It's such a powerful effect though. I would be surprised if it's on no play. You know what I mean? Yeah. This seems like the kind of card that, like you said, it's like, oh, it's a one of in Legacy Taxes or something like that. It's not the kind of card that I think everyone's running a playset of in Legacy where they're like, well, let's just print this crazy powerhouse into modern. I think it's like a, it's a card that has value and has utility. And I think that's the kind of this is the kind of card that I love seeing printed in modern horizons because it's it's you know, it's it's like our. It's like our uh, Spyro or something like that, where it's just like, here, here's a here's a good value three drop that can do some stuff. Not to rain on the parade too much, it is the Buy a Box promo. And it looks like right now the single is running for about 40 bucks. Buy a Box promos are still quite ex- exclusive. I don't see this necessarily impacting the price that profoundly. If it's not we'll in see. draft boosters, you know, isn't there a pretty limited number of Buy a Box promos entering oh. the marketplace? Did they, is it one that's not going to be in the packs? Because they have gone back and forth on that occasionally lately, where sometimes it's in the packs as well, and sometimes it's only the buy a box promo. I thought that they had reversed that policy, but so I will, I think we should do a little more research into that particular thing. Yeah, I, I yep. just think that's the looming question. If, if it is in packs or not, yeah. if it's a buy a box exclusive, I can see that being an issue. Interesting. They interestingly spoiled like a bunch of other weird cards. Yeah. And the next one was Urza's Saga, which is a card that I had to do like a triple take on when I saw <laughs> saw it because I was like, wait, it's a saga called Urza's Saga, but it's also a land and it's an enchantment and uh, it does a bunch of stuff that I don't totally understand. And I'm totally vamping while I look for the card <laughs> gallery. So here's what it does. Yeah. Dude, run with it, Dave. So it's an enchantment land called Urza's Saga. And that means it has no casting cost. So you just play it like a land. And the first step of the saga is Urza's Saga gains tap, add a colorless. You get a waste. Yep. The second step is Urza's Saga gains two colorless or two generic, not colorless, and tap it, create a zero zero colorless construct artifact creature with token or creature token with this creature gets plus one plus one for each artifact you control. Okay. So it makes a construct just like Urza makes a construct. And then the third chapter of the saga is search your library for an artifact card with mana cost zero or one and put it onto the battlefield, then shuffle. I hope that says mana value in the final art and not mana cost, but we'll see oh, where that yeah. goes. Oh, boy. Oh, I guess it's mana cost. Well, no, because this is different because it's not mana value. Oh, yeah. It's, it's the an, cost of the spell. Yeah, It's literally, it's not like you can't bring a weird like colored artifact into play that costs like red or green. It has to be 
one generic or zero for the cost. How weird is this card? What do you think about this card? Seems good. Seems very good. <laughs> yeah. I don't I mean, like, it's, yeah, it's probably fine, right? It's just value. Like, it's it's a good saga. It's 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 easy to play. It has no, it has no cost. And you get to do stuff with it. So chat's telling us that as it moves from chapter to chapter, it retains the previous chapter's abilities. So even when it's on chapter two, it can still tap for colorless, Mm -hmm. which I think makes it really good. And one of the things that I keep hearing from other modern players is that chapter three fetches your amulet. So this seems like a really great way to make for redundant copies of amulet in Titan decks. Ah, I mean, it's a slow amulet. I mean, it's pretty slow. It's like, what, it turned... Turn turn four. No, don't sagas trigger in the the beginning of your upkeep. first of your of your upkeep. Yes. Oh but, yeah. But, but yeah. imagine if it's getting your second amulet. That probably is game over. Yeah, and it also if your opponent has disruption, then that get disruption gets your first one, and then this gets your second one. That seems interesting. I mean, it's certainly. I mean, that tutor ability is going to be some stuff. Like being able to go and get, I don't know, maybe even like a Mishra's bauble or being able to go and get like, I mean, any number of different things that you can go and grab with this are huge. So Mox Amber. Yeah. If you're doing that thing. It's also a saga. So it's slow. Mm -hmm. So like this is, this is again, the kind of card that I think will be hard to be busted. It gives people time to interact with the enchantment, but it also has the name Urza on it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> those yeah, are and, always good and it has no mana cost this yeah, has no yeah. mana cost this doesn't i mean you just play it like a land then the next turn you get two lands like you know you get to use it like a land on your on the second turn yeah and then you get to go for making a construct which i i have a, i wonder if that mode is going to get skipped a lot with people where it's going to be like we play a land and then we search up something is probably most of what this is going to do maybe there's some, I, I don't know though how often people will have to like plan their whole curve around making sure that they get the the construct out of chapter two. Cause like we, you know, like um, Titan, if they were to run this, for example, just for the searching, they're not going to use that ever, but that's okay. You know, binding of the old gods is good, even though you only care about one, maybe two abilities. I mean, also though, Titan, does it want to play a, a wastes on turn one? Do you know what I mean? Like it wants to be playing, it wants to get its uh, cheap, like single mana green creatures out to ramp it and things like that. Provide some defense with like Arboreal Grazer or something like that. I don't know. I, I just think because it can fetch the amulet, it's something worth exploring. Yeah. I mean, keep in mind that what they'll do with this sometimes is like, maybe we'll transmute into it when we, maybe it'll be a one of, and you transmute into it with Teleria West when you're needing to get the amulet so that you're in the mid game to go get another one or something. I'm not a Titan person, but I'm saying there are ways to, to play with the different types that this card has to be able to take advantage of that tutoring ability, even if it's slow. This card is cool, though. Like we've never seen and we have seen very few enchantment lands. We've never seen a saga land. This is a card that's definitely like pushing the complexity of design and has lots of different angles that I think people will be looking to. Um take advantage of okay y'all do you want to talk about this diamond line all right so there are new cards there are are also well urza saga is a new card but there are some other really weird new cards as well it's weird all of the cards that they previewed that were new are like puns they're like magic puns like yeah urza saga well they did that last time remember there was like pondering mage or something true i mean yeah there were a lot of them therapist yeah (laughs) they had sarah was an original one so i guess maybe 
This is just the reference set. I mean, this is the real time spiral, right? In a lot of ways, like Modern Horizons 1 was kind of like the nostalgia set. This is another nostalgia set in a lot of ways because as they know, uh, you know, modern players, paper boomers, they're the nostalgia folks. So we we resonate with this stuff. And so let's talk about wi- about one of the other ones, which is a card that I really can't believe is a legit name of a card, which is Diamond <laughs> Lion. Diamond Lion, which is funny because it's a bear. It's a two mana, two, two. <laughs> but it's also Lion's Eye Diamond, uh, which is tap, discard your hand, sacrifice Diamond Lion. You add three mana of any one color. You can activate it only as an instant. So, I, y'all, I have a really cursory understanding of how Lion's Eye Diamond works, but I assume that it's some combination of discarding your hand, generating three mana, and having zero casting cost being good. Yeah. So we should compare the two because there's a more significant difference than just the fact that one's this new one's a creature. Lion's Eye Diamond is a zero mana artifact. Artifact. Um, and this is a creature. So this yes. also so has to suffer from summoning sickness. Right. It's a 2-2. Two, two, so you can attack with it if you want. If you don't need the mana, for the example. Simeon Spear Guide trick. Yeah. <laughs> also, this uh, is drawn. This art is drawn by Howard Lion. So there's a fun pun there, too. Oh, man. I did not Diamond Lion that. drawn by Howard Lion. Yeah. So this has to, like you said, Stan, it has to survive a turn. It costs two mana. And this... I don't, this does not fit into anything that immediately is making me think of some wombo combos. I'm sure they exist, but it's basically, this is the kind of card and check my thinking on this. This is the kind of card that will be either useless or broken, which is like my least favorite kind of contemporary magic card design, where it's like, this is either going to be super crazy and you're going to be annoyed by it or it's going to do nothing that is not a feature of contemporary magic design i would like to point out that is very much a feature of magic of all magic design many cards over the years have been useless or completely broken including lion's eye diamond which spent forever all of my first tour of magic being derided for being useless and then at some point people went oh three mana for free can be good discarding your can hand can be good i i, I wonder if useless or broken is like our new genius or grifter. <laughs> Can we <sighs> copyright that game? Useless or broken. I mean, yeah. that was a complaint I think people had about Stoneforge, though. Like, I, mm-hmm. I think even better brains than us are like, okay, well, Stoneforge is either going to be too good or not good enough. I think right now, Stoneforge has reached the point of maybe not good enough. But it's well, bounced around a lot in the in the tertiary second, sometimes even tier one decks. So I, I mean, like I think Stoneforge ended up working out. Diamond Lion, <laughs> Howard Lion, is <laughs> Howard is, the is, Diamond Lion. Is Howard is not, the Diamond is Lion a, is not a Stoneforge. Like right. this is a very different effect that is not fair in many ways, unless you're fine with a two mana two two. Yeah, I mean, in, in theory, it only gets you up. Uh, a mana but you know you can rebuy it with Luris. you can rebuy it with emery so i think that's what we might be looking at is just some kind of broken recursive synergy that enables a combo because it can produce a ton of mana the fact that it suffers from summoning sickness is why i feel like it's kind of on the bubble and it's going to take a truly broken strategy that maybe utilizes something like urza to maximize its potential i think it's totally true you have to be recurring it to make it doing 
do stuff. And I think someone will figure out how to do something abusive with this because three mana is good. Dumping your hand is good. Um, but I think it's going to be fringy abusive. It's not going to be, I, I don't know if it's going to be like a tier one kind of thing. Like one of the big payoffs for this card in like earlier formats, for example, for lion's eye diamond is kind of like storm and like graveyard recursion decks and we don't really have access to that for example to like dump a bunch of dark rituals into the graveyard and then recast them oh wait we do it's called storm so i but i don't think this card fits into that for example because it's a creature and it takes too long to untap and you don't have any time to invest the mana in this so shane why not just pop this into dredge discard your hand what's it doing it discards your hand yeah it's letting you it's letting you discard your hand to when you don't have yeah but like stan what am i taking out life from the loam i don't Shriek know horn. other dead cards street corn is on turn one to set up your turn twos and stuff like that like this just this this is not my thing i don't think this gets there i just think this because it dies it, that's the real problem with it yeah I, I i just think with something in a package with emery and and bobble and maybe mox amber you can get this out earlier than turn two and again we're just like circling like around these broken decks and i think that's kind of what lion's eye diamond enables in legacy is a lot of combo strategies um and that's what we should be on the lookout here as well. Yeah, but I, I have my doubts as to this, like finding a home immediately, I guess. But I think some smarter brewers or literally any brewers other than me will probably find a, a, an area to start playing around with. And that, that, there's there's a positive aspect, I think, to cards like this existing for people like that, right? Like we've talked many times about how none of us on here really are brewers, you know what I mean? We're people who really enjoy like finding a deck and picking a deck and kind of honing our technical play around it. And that's a lot of what the dive down is about is us trying to figure out how to get better at technical play and, you know, matchups and thinking about that kind of stuff. But we never talk about brewing because that I don't think that that really is something that excites us for the most part. Stan is maybe the one that does yeah. the most. But these cards have to exist for people who really find magic a creative outlet, you know, and that I think is kind of a great purpose for a reason for a card like this to exist. And the nostalgia makes that even better. So I should, I should brew more. I still remember like the one deck I did brew and like, I took it to like an FNM or like a, you know, a, an event and it was really bad, but like I did, I brewed up a deck once and it wasn't great, but I still think about it. I was like, I had something there. Was it girl with two Ember Cleave instead of four Ember Cleave? And this was when I was when I was first getting going. This was my Ojutai's Exemplars Azorius Prowess deck. Yeah. Oh, Shane, I thought you were wildly widely credited for inventing modern humans. No, I invented putting the orange in the blue moon. Okay, we got to move on. Paired with Diamond Lion is Brainstone, which is Brainstorm on a stone. Yeah. It, it costs one generic mana. For an artifact, you can then pay two generic mana, tap it, sacrifice it. You don't forget to do it in that, in that order. Draw three cards, then put two on top of your from your hand on top of your library in any order. This seems really expensive to me for what it's doing. But again, this is another card. It's going to be some part of some combo engine I can't think up yet or useless. Perfect card design. Yeah, I mean, I disagree. I think the fact that this is a one drop is huge. And I think that's kind of alarm bells for playability, not 
that it's a problem, but just this is a one mana spell that you can use on turn two to brainstorm, essentially. And you pay three mana to brainstorm? This is terrible tempo. But in a, again, like I'm going to, the fact that they brought all of these artifacts out on day one, I can't help but think like this looks like something that you can use with Emery or Luris. And it's just like, this is, again, potentially a combo tool or just a value tool in a combo deck. Yeah, it doesn't look just look like a card you can use with those cards. It is a card you can use with those cards, and you probably should use with those cards. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I as soon, as soon as I saw this, I was like, I don't know if you guys have seen the deck that uh, Everett's been running lately that's like a, is it like a Sultai mid-range deck with Luris Bauble in it and like no other permanence that Luris can recur other than Bauble? Like it's kind of wild and he was doing really well with it. I think he went like seven and one with in a challenge recently with it. It was check it out. But it feels to me like if you were going to play some kind of controlly game with Luris out of the sideboard, this is a pretty good card to go in that, even though it's expensive. Now that two activated cost is a lot, sure. um, but you know, this, this does force you to play brainstorm like the true brainstorm heads want you to play it late right that's what this is you know what else is interesting about that two mana is that it's free if your companion is zerda (laughs) okay or or zerda doesn't have to be your companion zerda can just be on the board you think about that shane broken or useless so i think that this card is much more close to let me let me say this much more close to clearly playable than diamond lion is in my mind but both of them might be not very good. Hard to say. Chat is reminding got, me that Zerda only makes it cost one mana to brainstorm, but still, Fox. We also got we also got counter spell. Okay, let's go on. Yeah, Wait, I mean, what? just, just what? <laughs> what? That's a spoiler. That's not the next card we had to talk about, is it? Oh, it is the next yeah, card is. we had to talk about. It is the next card. They did what? <laughs> what? 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 Is this our? What? Our, Who is our the, YouTube, what the? Where the? Our YouTube thumbnail is all of us just like YouTube surprise face. Dive down reacts to counter spell <laughs> printing. <laughs> I love that we save this for last because this is an entire episode's worth of conversation, right? This is we're going to talk for the next hour and a half about counterspell and I mean, what to that, do with it. That is why we decided to do the app tonight <laughs> with no notes because we can just talk about counterspell. We knew we we this one was a gimme putt, and uh, then we're going to yeah. call it call it a night, guys. How do I cast counterspell <laughs> <laughs> in response to your opponent's spell? Right. First off, it's an interrupt. <laughs> okay. First, first off, though, can I really say the way they revealed Counterspell kind of depressed me? Like they were, this was not supposed to be known, but they were so transparent that they basically realized that everyone kind of already knew it was going to be in the set. That they did not seem like they were even hyped about it. I was kind of depressed about that. I didn't actually see when they revealed this. I actually missed a good part of the Modern Horizons stream. I had to catch up on it later, Um, so I missed that part. Was that correct, Stan? Do you think? Do you think that's kind of like what their take was? Or their mood was? I I think they even said, you all were right, counterspells in the set, and then kind of moved on. Yeah, it was really weird. Which is wild because people like myself, and I think David, have been dying to play with this card in Modern. And now we get to have our two favorite cards in the same format, Counterspell and Lightning Bolt, whether or not they appear in the same deck, neither here nor there. Oh, they're going to be in the same deck. I just feel like... For sure. This is huge, right? This yeah. is kind of... I mean, it's the best counterspell of all time. It's such an iconic magic card from... Should, uh, should we read it? Should we read it? <laughs> blue, blue, blue counter target spell. Is that a sorcery? The funniest thing about it is that 
it's not like the original version like explained what counter target spell meant. You know what I mean? So it was oh, really? kind of, you didn't really know. Well, I mean, think about it contextually. It's like looking up uh, circular reasoning reasoning in the dictionary and seeing the definition is circular reasoning. Like, you know. Sure. So, you know, there's been a lot of chat surrounding this card immediately, talking about whether or not it immediately outmodes mana leak, whether or not we can play decks that are just four different versions of this card. Well, yeah, let's. I think let's talk about a little bit. Counterspell is just always a hard counter to any spell at any time. And all of these other two mana counter magic that we have had in modern, Logic Knot, Mana Leak, Drown in the Lock, even something like Dovin's Veto, Negate, these all have conditional power, and Counterspell has no condition besides having two blue mana. Yeah. Yeah, never playing Mana Leak again, I don't think. I think Mana Leak is the one that, like, definitely just take. And, and probably Logic Knot. Yeah. 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 Logic Knot is interesting just because, you know, pe- many people have pointed out that Logic Knot, especially early to kind of mid, like, is basically counterspell. Like, you're almost always able to yes. delve enough to just make it blue, blue counter target spell. And so, a lot of times, like, I don't know if you guys remember, but I mean, we've been, we've been talking about whether counterspell was going to be in modern since the first time that we interviewed Ross Miriam yeah. back in like episode 15. Of the of the dive down, you know, and he said he didn't think it would be that great in modern. He thought it was totally fine power level. That was while we were coming up to Modern Horizons one, and here we are two years later. We were two years off. It's here. Um, I do think it does a fair amount to definitely get rid of Logic Knot and Mana Leak are the big ones. I mean, we occasionally see Drown in the Lock and Blue Black Control, and I don't think you necessarily need the terminate terminate side of that anymore when you have an unconditional counter to play as well i I think that that one is going to be a mix especially in decks that really get the payoff from it like for example i really think that in blue black mill which i am pretty sure plays drown in the lock right oh yeah yeah for sure like that seems like having access to terminate like what is always going to kill something or always going to counter something is going to be pretty pretty handy to have and so maybe it becomes like a mix of those end up in the deck um but it is interesting to see like one of the things that has been a problem to be solved in modern for a long time is if you are a blue deck that wants to play counter spells, you have to sit down and look at all of the options across all of, you know, 20 years or so of magic history since counter spell was last printed into a set, which was seventh edition and really sit down and go, well, what makes sense for the plan that I really want to have and then build your counter suite from there. Mm-hmm. Now we just have an answer for where to start. And then it becomes, well, do I want six for some reason? Or am I just going to go up the curve and go to Archmage's Charm next? Or what what am I going to do here? Um, So I think that it takes a little bit of the texture out of like the possibilities for what control decks are going to do, especially control decks that are heavily, heavily blue, which is lots of them. But I'm still so excited to play it, honestly, and have it be in a format that I can play. And um, I'm looking forward to it. And I think it's going to pop up in lots of places that maybe you don't even expect. Beyond your excitement, do you think that this is a safe card? Like, what do you think this, what do you think the power level of Counterspell is? And how much of a bump is this to blue based control decks? Well, Stan, what do you think? I mean, the car is, card is fair with the capital F, right? It's just a one for one always. And that's it. So I think that's good. I, I, I think it makes blue based early interaction more consistent in a way that. Sometimes you would open on like a uh, celestial colonnade and uh, an island, and then you couldn't use your logic knots in blue X control. And 
now you always can. I, I think what it potentially enables is decks that run more counter spells because you can play counter spells up the curve and and hold up more interaction uh, at all times of the game in a way that it points to the game like Logic Knot or Mana Leak used to just be dead. Uh, and now you can always count on it not being dead if your opponents are casting spells. I don't think it makes Blue X Control immediately tier one because I still have PTSD from Hogak when that was printed and Blue X Control was unplayable and you would play a Celestial Colony on turn one and lose immediately. So I think there's a lot of fear around Counterspell, but I think that's kind of just feels bad of playing against Control where it always feels like Control always has it. But I don't think that this card is so bananas broken that it's a four of in Legacy decks because it's not. It very well might be a four of in modern decks, though. And that's good. For me, the question is whether or not we want to play four copies of Counterspell, Archmage's Charm, Cryptic Command, and Force of Negation, and a Snapcaster Mage and just call that a deck. Maybe throw in some Brineborn Cutthroats as long as we're having fun with the game. Sounds like anti-fun to me. Uh, it's interesting, Stan, you focused on the, the beginning of the game, and I feel like what it, what I would imagine it does is make the late game of control more reliable because you have more unconditional counter magic that only requires two mana. You know what I mean? Like where it's a logic knot, maybe your opponent will be able to get out from under it, or like a mana leak becomes outmoded after a while. And counterspell just is always doing what you want it to do. That, yeah, that's true. I mean, the late game isn't necessarily where control decks have problems, right? You want to get to turn four, sure. turn five, as you, you know. This is great with something like Teferi, for example, where you play Teferi on turn five, tick it up, and now you've drawn a card and you're holding up a counter spell. And it's you've kind of built your own Crypto Command there with a two-mana spell. Yeah. Kiefer asked an interesting question in our Slack today. But do you think there's any cards that will be played more in modern with the introduction of Counterspell? And I'm not sure how to answer that personally, because like the only thing I can think that would tick up are uncounterable late game threats. Like maybe like is like Thrun the Last Troll going to make some kind of comeback here? Uh, I mean, yeah, I think there's a chance that people those type of things will get just because I think it's going to be trendy for a while for people to play Counterspells or you know, play as much blue interaction as they can. I think that those uncounterable threats will get to have a shell for a little bit. I don't know if it's Thrun or maybe it's some other stuff, but. Yeah, maybe like six mana Chandra. You know, the other thing, I think this could be one of the cards that helps make Delver more viable too. This is what I was actually just going to ask. So I was just looking around on Goldfish a little bit for, so I did search on Goldfish to see like what decks are playing counter spell. And for some reason in Legacy, uh, is it Delver? came up, but I, I actually couldn't find any list that actually had it in it. So maybe there's some people who play a couple of them in uh, in the queues or something like that, but a lot of them don't. But that did make me wonder if we might be heading towards more of a um, Delvery kind of list as opposed to a Blitz kind of list. I don't know. So what do you think, Stan? Yeah, I mean, I just... I love this idea of playing uh, 20 interactive spells and then holding down some like very cheap removal. So you're essentially playing a tempo deck that's more about interacting with the stack than interacting with the board. So whether it's Delver, whether it's Brineborn Cutthroat or some other flash creature. Yeah, I mean, it might not even be flash creatures. You know, you might get up to enough man. You get up to enough mana pretty quickly where you could even be playing... Stoneforge Mystic, right? You, you get to turn four, play this with Stoneforge. So Stoneforge for sure. But I think with even within a tempo style deck, there's a chance that you're just like, hey, I'm going to play Dreadhorde Arcanist 
and Counterspell and Delver in the same deck. And then uh, we're going to go f- see what happens from there because you'll always have a hard counter up when you have when you hold your Dreadheart Arcanist until turn four. I also think an interesting question is what decks get worse with the addition of Counterspell? And it makes me wonder, like, does, does Tron take a big hit, actually? Because Control's been getting consistently better against Tron over the years. You know, it used to be a good matchup against Jeskai Control. Not so much these days. Just because we have so much more counter magic between Force of Negation, Field of Ruin, um, and just the overall blue-white X plan. I wonder if it just makes it harder to play like a big mana deck that isn't running Cavern of Souls to make your Primeval Titan uncounterable. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it yeah. already does, right? Like, Cavern's already played by Titan Well, well, well th- that's my point. Like, with the exception yeah. of Cavern, oh, got big you. mana decks. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a great a great point for something that might get a little bit worse. Yeah, I mean, Tron's the kind of thing where it's like it, it never wanted to see even a spell pierce on turn three most of the time, you know what I mean? And so, I or a, a mana leak was typically lights out for a turn or two. So, like you said, Stan, I think it, it might help a few early or like mid-game turns where it's like, I've got 10 mana, I'm playing around the mana leak, and I'm still getting countered. But I don't think that, I mean, that might add like a percentage or two more, which is, a you know, that's game, that's game shifting, right? Should yeah. you counter the expedition map or the Sylvan Scrying? Maybe. I think you should counter the Sylvan Scrying. Yeah, I mean, I usually do if I have the, if I have the spell up for sure. Okay, so I guess with counter spell, like the last thing I was going to ask is just like, Stan, what's the first deck you're going to try it in? Is it just going to be Blue Moon for you or what are you, what are you thinking? No, I actually, I would rather play it in blue-white, I think. Yeah. Um, as much as I want to pair it with Lightning Bolt, I don't know if you want to play Counterspell in a deck that doesn't also have Teferi Time Raveler. Like, I just feel like Blue Moon is becoming more of a combo, either Emrakul or Kiki-Jiki plan, whereas opposed to blue-white, because it has two amazing Teferis, I don't know why you would want to not play that. So, of course, Blue Moon might play this, to protect yourself until you can through the breach. I feel like Teferi is a better card than through the breach and Emrakulor. Yeah. I mean, blue moon would definitely play like whatever blue moon deck there is. will definitely play counter spell, right? Like that's, it's the most straight down the middle spells, spells, interactive deck that we have. I think it doesn't even have planeswalkers most sometimes. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like well, it, it runs Jace, but not always though. Like the magma opus deck that I played didn't run Jace, for example. Oh. And that was basically blue moon with one Teferi in the main of, uh, the, I guess the thing that I'm really curious about is I might try to keep an eye out for these kind of tempo-y builds and see if there is something that comes up with kind of your Delver style, your Dreadhorde Arcanist style, something like that. I guess the the big thing that I would have been thinking about, maybe we'll talk about this more later, is just in combination with um, Abundant Harvest, like as a new proactive spell that Dreadhorde Arcanist can easily recur, you get like a much stronger... Um, I think you get a much stronger take at like a spell suite within modern that makes Arcanist always good and always manipulating your deck, even without brainstorm, just because of abundant harvest. But we can mm-hmm. talk about that another time. Important question. Mickey asked this. It's very important. What's your favorite and least favorite counter spell art? Cause there's like what? 12 different arts, maybe like 45 printings of this thing. I think the, the new Japanese alternate art is pretty amazing from the, the mystic archives, but Mercadian masks underrated. I think 
That's always been my go-to, Mercadian mask, just because I still have my playset of masks counters from when I played in seventh grade. Oh, very cool. It was one of the only cards I held on to even after I stopped playing Magic as a teen. I just was like, there's something about this card. It compels me. Dave, are you going to flex here? No. I mean, I, I do really like the original one just because I love the guy's face. <laughs> it's like the weirdest looking person who's just like, oh, mm-hmm. oh. <laughs> Um, I also enjoy the like fitness instructor one that's from Ice Age. That's the one that I have in my my Popper Delver deck mm-hmm. that I have. I I have a weird affinity for the. All right, so I am going to flex. I guess I have a weird affinity for the 1996 Arena Counterspell art, which I don't know if you all have ever seen. Is, is that before. the one that's being like run over by a wave? It's like a weird wave. Yeah, yeah I agree. That's a cool and, one. That was definitely one that I played sometimes because I had those promos from playing Arena at the time. Um, that's a cool one, too. What's our least favorite ones, though? I think that's the best part of the question. Uh, there's a lot of bad ones. The Tempest one The Tempest one reminds me of like some internet image that I just can't remember, but it's also just bad. I think Tempest is pretty bad. I, 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 I don't like the seventh ed one. I have to say with the person who's floating with like, yeah, the, like the floating, the floating like glow around them is like, meh. The weird thing about the Tempest one is it looks like that dude is wearing a Party City Devil costume. Just bright red. (laughs) He also has like a belt buckle that says A on it. And I'm like, is that Captain America? Like what? Who is that? (laughs) It's A Wizard. Yeah. A dot Wizard. We got to move on. Quick takes. What do you guys hope that Horizons 2 brings to the table? Like, I guess it kind of like gets back to do you think Modern Horizons 2 did what it was supposed to do in the end? What do you want to to do that one perhaps didn't? Or do you want to just run it out again? I, I can't think of anything Modern Horizons 1 didn't do that I wanted it to, except for print old cards that I wish I got to play with, such as Counterspell. And I think the fact that we have that here is a huge check mark for me. And I want to see more of that because it's just so hard to predict the new cards that are being printed or the effects that I dream of having. But having access to old cards that I've never got to play with in my favorite format, I think is really the cool part for me. Isn't there something like 40 cards? Yeah, 42 new to modern reprints from Magic's past. That is a lot of new, a lot of cards that weren't legal before that are coming in. So I think that is very interesting for sure. What about you, Shane? What do you want from Modern Horizons 2? Hmm. So... I initially was like, was Horizons 2 an actual success? And then like you look at the Horizons like card list and like, yeah, I guess there's a lot of reasonable cards here. There's a lot of stuff that has stuck around and like hasn't felt busto. I really actually don't think that uh, Force of Negation, is that the name of the card? Yeah. I don't think that card should have been printed. Um, I, 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 What I hope is that 2 does what 1 did without breaking as much that had to be corrected. I'm, I'm still mm-hmm. sure. I'm sure it will. I'm sure it will. They have to. Yeah, I mean, one led to the ban of several longtime cards. I mean, you know, I, I won't go into it deeply, but and then there were cards that that got got banned from Modern Horizons, as we all know, Hogak. So I would love to see less mistakes of a Hogak level. I hope there's no Hogak levels. I the big thing for me is like I really want these sets to be additive and not replace things but that's another problem that just comes with magic too is like there's only so much space within the meta for a certain number of decks and i think some decks kind of fade and other ones come forward and i would like it to feel like it makes more things playable as opposed to more things unplayable all in 
Agreed. You know, one of the things that I think is really cool about Modern Horizons was that it added uh, playables in every color and a bunch of color combinations. So from a constructed standpoint, it wasn't pushed in one direction, even though, you know, you might argue that Ren and Six or Force Negation are the best cards that stuck around, but everyone got something. Yeah, White got Generous Gift. Creator Captain of Eos. And Giver of Ruins and Ephemerate. Yeah. Yeah, I got stuff. I'm just I'm just having a hot take here. All right. Before we get out of here, can we talk real quick about and I forgot, I think we should talk about it here, abundant harvest. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So look, this card was is in Strixhaven, Mystical Archives. People have been playing it in historic. It's gonna be in modern because it's in Modern Horizons 2. Have you guys been playing this card? No. No. Okay. So I'm the only one who's been playing it. Weirdly, I have not. I think this card is super great. <laughs> yeah, it look it looks, I mean, like I said, I think a few weeks ago, I was like, this card is gonna be good. And maybe that's not a surprise to anybody, but after getting to play it for a while, I'm just like, it you always get exactly what you want. It only costs one mana. And I, I think that fundamentally it's gonna change. I think that it's gonna exert some pressure on modern with some new deck archetypes and especially like one of the things that I wonder about a lot as I've was kind of animated earlier is if it's going to make Dreadheart Arcanist into a much more powerful card in modern on its own um, because it's such a powerful cantrip that you always get value off of when you cast it. Um, it's not, like I said, it's not, it doesn't let you manipulate the top of your deck with quite as much force as brain for brain storm does of course but i feel like in combination with a couple other cards in modern you might be able to get that package where it's good enough that you want arcanist to be around as well in some kind of delvery arcanist kind of build that we haven't really had access to before i can i want to actually rewind can we talk about the brokenness of modern horizons as a brand sure so Clearly, Modern Horizons 1 had some cards that are way too pushed, as you alluded to. It led to bans, both Modern Horizons cards and other cards, okay? And I think that was something they were cognizant of when they were designing this, at least I hope so. And we also know some of the creative team that went into designing this, so I, I hope that you know people like Pat Sullivan, who was on the team, helped contribute to making sure it wasn't out of control. That said... At the end of the day, isn't it okay if things get out of whack for a brief period of time if eventually they're corrected? Because isn't modern good now, even in a post-Modern Horizons world? I agree it's good now. I think it's taken a while. It took a little bit of upheaval to get there. You know, we had to sit through Hogak. We had to sit through Urza. We had to sit through other things. Like, But the ride was fun, and it gave us a lot of content to talk about. I do still worry about the monetary cost associated with it once we get back to paper play for people. But... I mean, we're here for the ride, right? We're like, we're not just here for, for picking a deck and playing it forever and it'll always be good. I think part of what's exciting about Magic, especially these days, is the game changing, new cards coming out, the frequency that cards come out, the power level they're willing to play with. Like, I think all those things are exciting, if not always perfect. Mm -hmm. So, you guys want to talk about the next set that they talked about for a minute? You guys want to talk about Dungeons and Dragons? Is this our pilot for the D&D show? <laughs> no. <laughs> No, unfortunately, <laughs> the it's adventure not. dive. The adventure dive. Yeah. Natural one. The adventure adventure down. Uh, I still think this set idea is sweet. I was really excited. I'm just going to give the top line on this because I don't think we need to go too deep on these. I still think the top line is awesome. The flavor was great to see coming out in the preview cards. I love the alternate art cards for this. I really, really, really think that 
Wizards art direction is doing such an such a great job with these alternate frames, the different treatments they're thinking about, the different ways that they're doing it. All of that is adding value to the texture of the game through just design. And I am very interested in that. I think they're really smart about the way that they're doing it. Um, that being said, I don't think they really showed any cards that I think are going to be great. But what? What? Shane, do, what do you think? What? I, am I very I, wrong here? Are you just saying oh, something yeah. for us to react to? Yes. <laughs> the dog down reacts to Dave's bad takes. Did I miss a card? Well, I mean, portable hole is sweet. You portable hole. Mm. Portable hole is sweet. Mm. Mm. I mean, I don't know if it's like the new broken. I mean, this is it's it's no uh, single blue mana enchantment thing that you like, Stan. Yeah, I don't know what you're like, talking about. Buying the monster. Yeah, still oh. buying the monster, okay. but it is a portable hole. All right, let's go through these cards quick then. Portable hole, white artifact. When it ETBs, you exile a target non-land permanent and then opponent controls with mana value two or less until the portable hole leaves the battlefield. It's a super efficient chain to the rocks, glass casket style effect. It's more vulnerable than chained because it's just sitting there as an artifact and not attached to a land, but it's also less flexible. It doesn't it doesn't force you to be in red white like chain to the rocks does like that's why chain to the rocks is not played very often and burn does like having access to it i think often portable hole is basically uh a much less flexible but more efficient and easier to use in all sorts of color combinations i think it will see some kind of play uh it might not be you know it might not be modern level but i think it's more maybe in the the historic and pioneer perhaps i think it might be modern level might be I, I i look at this card and i wonder if we ever want to play on ice again isn't on the ice just better than this though it gets rid of anything and all you need is a, a snow land right sure but i feel like this is extra copies of path to exile and again modern is a low cmc format so in the decks where path is good, this is probably also good. And especially when Luris is one of the most dominant forces in the format, this just gets everything that you worry about in the Luris deck, except for that. Stan, did you yeah, but play it doesn't Magic? Get, wait, wait, wait. It doesn't get Luris, though. doesn't get Luris. No. Right, but but Luris comes out like on turn four or five at the earliest, and by sure. then you have other cards to deal with Luris, which is also easy to kill. Yeah, I mean, so, I think that Anthonice is just better than this card personally and, and path is clearly better in this card so i i don't know if it's going to get there for modern i think one of the issues too is i mean is the question i wanted to ask you stan is did you play during the when chained in the rocks was like a legitimate standard power level card no i was really introduced to the power level of that card through pioneer Cause, yeah because it was a legit pioneer card I mean, I, I, I don't. Where I'm going with that is not important because, like, you've also played like you've played you've played enchantment based removal type things where like if someone sure. blows up the enchantment, you get your thing back. Like Pathling. and there's yes, there's there's all kind of issues related to that where the creature is not actually gone. This is not pathed, and like, and then the opponent can blow you out when you weren't expecting it. Like you do a stupid attack, or you don't have a blocker, or you didn't save a removal spell. That on the end of your turn they blow up the enchantment or the this in this case the artifact and then it, it sort of leads i think to you having to play more carefully than just like a straight up actual removal spell yeah now however this does get rid of target non-land permanent with cmc2 unless it's not just a creature and that's something Good that point. i think i glossed over a little bit with what i was saying a moment ago because glass caskets only creature on ice and chain of the rocks are both only creature path is only creature so 
I think from that perspective, it does open open up space for this card to help you get rid of random annoying artifacts. Having your aether vial just you know sucked away. Yeah, yeah. I I mean the fact that it's one CMC I think is very important. Obviously, and not only that, but I think people overblow the actual impact of a game of this being abraded because at the end of the day, that's still just a one for one interaction. You know, they, yeah. they, they trade a card for a card and in the game of resource attrition, I don't think that's quote unquote backbreaking. Yeah. The only trick that you have with that is just the timing stuff that Shane pointed out where sometimes you can sure. get blown out on it if you attack and then they abrade your portable hole and then they get their guy back and that creature is a good block matchup for your attacker. Like that's a thing. Right. But yeah, I think that the non-land permanent part is a little bit more eye-opening to me than it was a moment ago for sure. Also, fun name, right? Yeah, portable hole, very D and D. We're gonna lay a trap. <laughs> I think people were kind of hyped about power word kill one in the black instant. It's another one in the black instant removal spell, but it's target non angel, non demon, non devil, non dragon creature. This it competes with heartless act and eliminate and historic. Uh, I, I'm curious how this fits in the mix. I don't think people are respecting how many creatures are in those four buckets, as Dave would say. Uh, yeah, I think that. I don't think I, I'm, I'm going to guess we're going to see less of this than people think we are. I think this one's going to be tough to know. I mean, not killing mayhem devil is really kind of a bummer yes. and historic for sure. Mm-hmm. Angels, not, not killing mean, angels against the angel deck is a problem. So when you, I mean, some dragons, when they stick, they do take over the game. It's just, I mean, that's the kind of creature you want to be able to get rid of. These dragons keep taking over the game. <laughs> People, uh, there's Vorpal Sword is just a weird card we should talk about. Maybe it's just a black, black artifact equipment. Equipped creature gets plus two, plus zero, has death touch. Five black, black, black until end of turn, Vorpal Sword gains. Whenever the equipped creature gains, deals combat damage to a player, that player loses the game. You equip it for black, black. I don't know. I mean, this probably does something annoying. Uh, Pretty fun. Yeah, I, I love that win the game clause. I hate that it costs eight mana, and I feel like there's no real way to cheat on that. I mean, there's probably some kind of activated ability cheat. I mean, didn't you just point one out with Lutri? Yeah, I I guess. So this, <laughs> that, that six. makes this six mana? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I mean, there's probably something weird that you can do with that, but then it's like a two count, two card combo and like sacrifice three lions, diamond lions. Hey, yeah. we got there. I always just feel like you should take a look at cards that say that in the game. Yeah, basically. But this might also only be a commander card because of that mana cost and good for them. Like you said, Dave, I love the special art on this. We got like a little beholder type card thing. It just like takes me back to like reading the like second edition books and all the stuff at like the hobby shops and whatnot. The monster manual, my man. The big yeah. like binder, three ring binder monster manual that I had when I was a teenager. I'd love to just flip through it. I also used to like to go to the, the public library back in Lakewood. They had D&D books there and they had a copy of a book called Gods and Demigods that was like a 1979 or 1980, like an oh, extremely yeah. early D&D book that just had the wildest art in it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm I agree, Dave. I think I'm pretty hyped for Adventures in the Forgotten Realms. I think it's going to be a cool replacement core set. It's coming out, you know, this summer. It'll be something to look forward to. I think it'll have a lot more just sort of character than our typical core sets. And I think the the D and D heads out there are going to have something to be like, oh, like yeah, this all this stuff is cool, like bag of holding and power word kill and all that kind of stuff. I think it's going to be fun. 
You know, the D&D announcement also introduced us to the only legend of Summer of Legend announcement, which was Tiamat, uh, Seven Mana Dragon, where I don't think we even need to read it. I don't think this is going to be a player in our formats. No. Yeah, Tiamat, the, the EDH dragon. But I loved, I loved Tiamat and Bahamut. Let's see if Bahamut is good, maybe. Maybe. I mean, the Dragon Lords, there's always going to be one playable one, at least, right? Right. Are they the Elderist dragons, though? I wonder what's going to happen when they meet up with, like, Silumgar or Chromium, like, all these dragons hanging out together with all these They're names. all vaccinated. They're going to have a cool dragon party. They're not yeah. Planeswalkers, Dave. They're never going to meet. Oh, true. That's never happening. There's an incredible book that my, my kids have called Dragons Love Tacos, and it's about a dragon party where dragons eat tacos, and it's uh, that's what <laughs> I just imagined when you had all these dragons hanging out together, vaxxed, eating tacos. Speaking of vax... Magic sanctioned play returning to the United States May 28th. Please get vaccinated if you can out there. I think this is this is just it's it's for your protection, it's for protection of others. It helps us all move forward out of this pandemic. I'm sure some of you might have trouble getting that sick day off after your second dose. You might have some concern about the vaccine in general. Maybe you were like it's going to be too hard to schedule. I think there's a lot of places you can just walk into a pharmacy today. You know, and just get it. There's, uh, there's here in Denver. If you wanted to get one, you could, can, you can. I hope it's the, the case elsewhere. I say all this because I want all of us to be able to play Paper Magic again with as little worry as we can. And Watsi does too. Uh, for better or worse, states and municipalities continue to relax these various restrictions related to COVID. And Watsi, of course, realizes that they can't keep people from playing Magic, even if they wanted to. Things are opening up, so they might as well make it truly sanctioned magic. May 28th, it's a Friday, I believe. Different game stores. I know in Chicago, the dojo is already saying they're going to delay a little bit, right? They want people to feel more safe. Yeah, another shop I went to in Chicago called the Evanston Game Cafe told me they're going to request proof of vax to to play in magic sanctioned events. You know, this is a casual conversation. Don't hold them to that. Uh, But (laughs) if more stores do that, I think that's kind of cool. And I can almost see that as being like one of the passports to getting into, you know, a GP level event next year. Yeah, I would feel more comfortable with that. But look, here's the thing. We're not going to talk about this much more than that. (laughs) Other than to say, please go out and get vaccinated if you're having hesitation about it. It's all good. I I think it's it's like Shane said, it's going to help us all get out of this. So one of the most surprising announcements that they had was... Historic Anthology, a new Historic Anthology number five coming out on May 27th. Very soon. Uh, wow. Yeah. Very soon. Yeah. The day before, <laughs> Sanctioned Play returns yeah. to the U.S. Really, y'all? Historic Anthology five. We just had four, right? Like, how long ago was that? Uh, I mean, it wasn't. It wasn't. Like five weeks? Was it only five it, weeks? It was in March. March 11th. What? Oh, my gosh. Time I mean, is like, destroying like me. seven weeks. Yeah. But still, like we and but we the real thing is we had like anthologies five, six, and seven in the mystic arc mystical archives, right? Like and historics arguably arguably to me, it's like in its best shape ever since I think we've been playing. I think it's a I think it's in great shape. Like the win rates are good of these various decks, a lot of decks to play. I got a side eye at tainted pact right now, but okay. I yeah, mean, I mean that's that's I mean I think that there are metagame forces that could control that, I think. But we'll see. Maybe not. We'll see. Yeah. I don't know if you've heard, Shane, but Arena is an economic engine. Oh, yeah. And Modern Horizons is not coming to Arena, so. <laughs> yeah. Wati needs those golden gems to be turned into non-transferable digital assets. You know what this really says to me, though? This says to me that 
Wizards is confident in the amount of time that people spend playing Historic on Arena. That's the number one thing that this says to me, is that they feel like there are enough players who are interested in it that they need to keep putting product into that channel to make people want to keep up. And I don't know quite what to think about that. In some ways, I think that's cool because it means that I'm doing something that is popular with a lot of people. Uh, and it's a good, you know, robust metagame. On the other hand, it makes me wonder like what else they're going to do to try to monetize that particular channel, which we've talked about before. But all in all, like I kind of feel like the historic anthologies were t- like 20 bucks. I got four death shadows. I I got 20 bucks out of enjoyment of playing my death shadow. And uh, I feel okay about that. And I'm hoping that this one is a similar feeling. Yeah. I mean, honestly, trying to if you had to make four death shadow for some other way that would be like 24 bucks of packs so at least a, yeah just a good deal if you can call it that so they announced two cards there will be more than these two i assume but they did say that whirler rogue as well as the other Vorinclex will be in this new set so the other Vorinclex is 6 GG for a 7-6 Legendary Praetor with Trample. Whenever you tap a land for mana, add one mana of any type that land produced. Whenever an opponent taps a land for mana, it doesn't untap during their next untap step. And likewise, Whirler Rogue, 2 UU for a 2-2 Human Rogue Artificer when it ETBs. Create two 1-1 Thopter tokens with flying and tap two untapped artifacts you control. Target creature can't be blocked this turn. So those cards are just a little on the whatever side. Yeah, for sure. Whirler Rogue was a very cool card in standard for a minute when it was out. VCC, we call them. Yeah. Vorinclex Voice of Hunger, I think, is like a non-starter completely for for Historic. I think there was a time maybe when Whirler Rogue might have been playable in Historic or something that could go in kind of like a weird Artifact Matters deck. But I think, especially with the Mystical Archives, we're well past any of that kind of tricksy stuff now. Mm -hmm. You know, Joe asked, and I think the real question is, what do we want to see in Historic Anthologies? Like, if they're going to put these out at a more consistent clip, once upon a time it was supposed to be quarterly. Now it seems like maybe, maybe every three or four months we'll get a new one. What sort of impact do we want them to have on the set? Or on the format, rather. And I was looking at previous Historic Anthologies and what they've done and kind of the trends we can glean from how they curate the format. And one of the things that stuck out to me is that basically all of them had... Uh, at least several cards that are staples in Eternal formats, including Modern. They basically all have one card that sees Modern play, be it Death Shadow, be it Thalia, you know, Ranger of Eos even. And it makes me wonder whether, and, and hope, whether this is one of the ways we're going to get cards like Snapcaster Mage or Tarmogoyf into the format eventually. Wow. I mean, I think those cards that they know are clearly that powerful, I wonder about a little bit if, I mean, if we were to wake up one day and they were like, yeah, Tom Rogoyf is in this historic anthology, I would be like, oh, okay, uh, cool, <laughs> you know? But would that be a bad thing? I, I don't know. We have portable hole. Yeah, <laughs> you have portable <laughs> hole to deal with your Tom Rogoyf. Ah, uh, Hans, we got- <laughs> get the portable hole, Hans. <laughs> Why isn't that the flavor text on portable hole? I'm. Mm. A, yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's hard to know what's going to be in these, right? Like, I think there's, we're going to, where they're going to be, there's going to be stuff that's going to make you want to buy it because it's going to give you hope, right? There's going to be the death shadow. There's going to be something where it's like, oh man, what can I, what can we do with this? What can, can we make death shadow work in historic? Can we make uh white taxes work in historic? You know, can we make 
white humans or something like that, right? So for me, it's like a wait and see. I think what I want to see, honestly, is not much change. And that's kind of like a little bit lame to say. Like, I, I want this Rancho 5 to like not make a impact. But we had such an impact with the recent archives cards out of Historic, excuse me, out of uh, Strixhaven, that I kind of want Historic to stay pretty good. Like maybe make some stuff more vile, give me more. That's like like what we want of Modern Horizons, which is like, give me more, but don't make anything too good, right? Like keep it balanced. Like just give me some pain lands or something. I just want some more duels. I feel like we're going to get at least one creature that is a current modern staple. They've done that with every historic anthology. And I want to know what modern staple creature you want added to historic. I mean, what do I want? Yeah, what do you want, Dave? Mo- Monastery Swiss Sphere. Do I think that that would be good for the format? I do not think it would be good for yes. the format. Yep, it would be good. It'd be fine. I mean, I'd love it. I agree with Shane. You think it would be good? We don't have Manamorphos. We don't. I think it'd be great. We don't have Lava Dart or Lightning Bolt. I think Monastery Swiss Sphere is kind of what Red Burn needs to actually be a viable deck in that format. Okay, then I take it back. I I, I want it, and I think it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, the things I want are okay, okay? Yeah. yeah, that'd be good. Shane. Yeah. Answer the question. What do I want? Okay, me I mean, think. he said Painlands. I, I want Painlands, but he, he wants my take on the creature. What modern was, staple oh, creature. creature? Right, right. You already have Meddling Mage. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Well, let's see. Noble Hierarch. No, that's too good. Probably too good. Uh, that was what I thought you were going to say. Honestly, I thought you were going to say Noble Hierarch, and you did. Well, I said it, so it's done. Done there deal. There it is. I said it's it. Noble Hierarch. Seems pretty good. <laughs> I'm a little worried about yeah, it, a, but okay. Okay, Mana Dork. Yeah, cool. couple other... Some, there's some odds and ends in this announcement we got, right? <laughs> in this 90-minute breakdown. <laughs> Jumpstart returns to Arena June 4th. If you missed it, uh, maybe play it. Note, note that the odds to open a particular card you want are very bad. There's like 1,300 cards in this set. You will likely not get your goblin whatever. Muxus. Yeah, don't get you're not gonna get your your Muxus grandee. Yeah. And then so I think it, it's cool the jumpstart's coming back so you can try it out. I'm looking forward to when they reprint that in paper for when historic becomes a paper format. You know it's coming. Just look deep within yourselves. <laughs> the real thing that they need to do is get a lot of jumpstart into the paper economy for that to really happen and not be cost prohibitive for people. And so let's see. However, at the after they talked about Jumpstart, they were kind of like, oh, we've got this one last announcement. It's going to be really big. It's going to be really big. It's going to be really big. And all the whole time I was sitting there, I was thinking to myself, are they going to announce Pioneer Masters right now? Like while we're watching it, I think they're going to announce Pioneer Masters. It's really big. We're bringing another format to, to Arena. That's a big announcement. Okay. Okay. And then they brought up this mirror mirror event instead (laughs) where they're going to like errata broke cards that are broken and let people play them, which is like, fine. I think that's a cool idea. It was just a very funny thing where I thought they were going a totally different direction with, (laughs) with it. And I was like, Oh, people in the chat and the the dive down nation are not going to be happy about the (laughs) fact that they didn't announce pioneer here. Um, how much do we want to talk about that at all? The, I mean, the errata event is fascinating. Can we talk I about Pioneer to, first? Okay, fine. They have really, really given us all signs pointing to they do not care about Pioneer, right? It's kind of like, it's 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 bad in a way. And someone who wants as many formats to play as, as possible, 
give them to me. Give me more, give me more formats. But they do not seem like they are keen on pushing Pioneer onto Arena anytime soon. That was my take too. It was on the product roadmap before. This seemed like this would have been a good time to mention it. No I mean, mention of it. It was on the roadmap the last time we saw the product roadmap. We don't know right. that it's been taken off. Correct. But, but what, with the exception of explicitly telling us Pioneer is coming to Arena on Dave's birthday, what else can they do? You know, what's the difference between the way they treat Pioneer and something like Vintage and Legacy, where it's just like another eternal format that some players like to play? Well, they print cards directly into Vintage and Legacy all the time via Commander is the big thing. So they they actively design cards that are for those formats in Commander, in Conspiracy, in sets like that. There are cards that jumpstart don't but, but, end up in EDH that end that are kind of made for Legacy. You think so? You th- you think there's that thought happening? 100 percent. I definitely think so. Alisor Shepard, we want this in Legacy. True Name Nemesis. Yeah, True, True Name Nemesis is a huge one where it's like it's a fun card in EDH, but it's it's a card that clearly had like multiple aspirations. So I do think that they pay nominal attention to those formats. It's but that that aside, like I don't know what they could do. They could they could just have said some kind it of still exists. All you gotta do is update. It was on the product roadmap. It still exists. Hey, guess what? The second half of the year is it's going to be awesome. We're still going to do the weird Innistrad uh, vampire wedding and also. Mm-hmm. Pioneer Masters is coming out Q4 because we know people want more ways to play with their cards on Arena. Yeah, it's basically all they, all they have to do is just say, like, here's an update on the format we made, like, not two years ago. <laughs> like, we made a new format, which is not done lightly. You know what I mean? Like, I think that they're not, they're not, ca- like, they're not cavalier with their format creations. So to make something, and I think so clearly sort of drop it to the, to the back burner while they cook up historic on arena is definitely obvious, right? That's the thing. So make it, they can either make it, make it less obvious or they could just give us some kind of status update. So the errata thing actually kind of scares me a little bit. Now it doesn't scare me. I think it's an interesting thing. Like it's, but it's also like, is this going to eventually turn into go pick up your, your uh, new three power sticker to, to put on your, you know, your whirler rogue or something like that, or it's like, we have a rod of this in paper, just you sharpie it up, baby type thing. I don't think it's necessarily what's going to happen, but why test this out besides just something fun? And maybe that's all it is. I think that's all it is. They do that all the time with arena. Like they have weird Momir stuff. They have really unusual formats that only last for a weekend that never see the light of day or we hear from again. I, I think it's kind of like testing the boundaries of the platform more so than trying to stress test stuff for paper. Yeah, I mean, I, but I'm a magic player, Stan. If I'm not jumping to some unreasonable conclusion about something that Watsi did. <laughs> That's all magic I, players do. Am I, am I really a podcaster? <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a subtitle for the episode. Am I really a podcaster? I'm curious to see how they try to fix Oko, for instance. Right? For sure, and have it still be playable, right? R- right, because I, I, th- I think that's really what's interesting is maybe indicators of future design space for how can we make maybe a three-mana walker that does all these things in a different way, or what do we cost a walker that does all these things, right? So yeah. we'll see. Yeah, I, I, that kind of occurred to me too when we were talking a moment ago, Stan, which is basically like maybe this is just a testing ground for how to fix mistakes that they've made in the past and make a new card later that does the the thing that they think is cool. For sure, for sure. So yeah, y'all, that was, that was our longest breakdown of all time. That was basically the episode, uh, which is fine with me because there's a lot to react to. 
As a, this is a legendary announcement in the fact that it gave us our first hour and a half long breakdown. So thanks for going through this. And I think there's a lot that I'm hyped for, nervous about, anxious about, you know, all, all those things. I'm, I'm, I'm hyped for Modern Horizons 2. I'm hyped for us having a lot of new stuff to talk about in Modern. I'm hyped about paper play becoming a legitimate possibility. Thank you, science and all that kind of good stuff. Developers, distributors, the person who shot, gave me that shot in my arm at, at King Supers. I appreciate all y'all. Uh, yeah, cool sets coming up. I think it's going to be a fun year of magic and hopefully of life in general. Can't wait to see you all later on this year as well. Agreed, Shane. I, I don't even remember what Shane smells like. <sighs> it depends on the day, my friend. <laughs> it used to be meat. It's not meat anymore. <laughs> it's uh, it's fake meat. It's beet meat. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, that's what, I mean, that's what, that's what, that's what like the coloring comes from. I think is like all these weird vegetable juices. Hmm. Anyway, okay. let's take a quick break. Cause I don't want to talk about beyond burgers anymore. Let's come back. Let's just do a quick little wind down. We got a fun question that I want to talk about cause I get to have a take. So stay with us. So I promised a question. And Aaron asked, what's the most underrated and the most overrated card in modern right now? And I think, I think I also, I kind of took it to be like underappreciated and overappreciated because I think over and underrated is there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff in there. People are going to have a response to our takes. So I think there's, there's some cards I picked out as both uh, overappreciated and underappreciated. They're, they're both artifacts. I just realized. So I think one of the most underappreciated and perhaps underrated cards in modern is Relic of Progenitus. It is wide, it's wildly played. One of like the top 10 cards in the entire format in terms of its play rate. I don't think most people would think about Relic as such a card. It just does, it does so much for so little. It can be played in so many different decks. It stops some strategies pretty darn cold. I love Relic. What do you think about under underrated cards, y'all? Stan and I are both giving each other the you go hand signal. You go right now. I'm trying to look at the tournament state or the the format staples tab on Goldfish right now. Okay, I'll I'll, I'll go. You, I'll I'll vamp for a bit. I'll vamp. I'll go for my overrated because I I did do prep and I know that we we promised it was gonna be a light prep week for y'all. Overrated. I think maybe Path to Exile. Like it's it's sort of a necessary evil, but the 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 ramp is a is a huge drawback. And so like, but is Path overplayed? Like it might be like, I still remember, I remember back a few years ago when Obzon was still a legitimate deck that could, could be played. And like Reed Duke was like not playing path. Cause he was like, the ramp is too bad. Like, I just hate giving my opponent this ramp. I'm not playing path. It's like, I know you have other options in Obzon, primarily just fatal push and other black based removal, but dang, that's like a big choice to make to just say, I'm not, I'm not playing assassin's trophy as much as other people. I'm not playing path as much as other people, because like, I don't, I don't want to give my opponent that benefit. Um, an, another under, uh, let's see, truly underrated card, maybe in snaring bridge. Like there, there have been times and in certain metagames when like burn has played in snaring bridge and it's sideboard just because like every once in a while you're going to stop someone cold and they were not prepared for ensnaring bridge. And right now we see it a lot like in Karn tutor style decks but it doesn't have to be. I think there's a lot of options for ensnaring bridge to win games as the format sort of turns back more towards creature-based damage and whatnot. So here's my underrated card that people make fun of all the time and I just don't share the same hate for it, and that is Matter Reshaper. 
I <laughs> absolutely hate whenever my Etron opponents cast Matter Reshaper, even though it is arguably the worst creature in their deck. Because it's a cantropic blocker. Yeah, like it's so awkward to attack into. You don't want to spend a removal spell on it because it two for one's you. And it just it brings them closer to the reality smasher or their card in the great creators. And those are the cards you're really scared of. So battery shaper, buddy, I, I stand a legend. Uh, yeah. What's your what's your uh overrated card? That that one's actually much harder for me just because I think all the cards in modern are good. Maybe mana leak. I hate playing mana leak. Yeah, yeah. I hate playing that card too. I'll I'll settle for mana leak. How about you, Dave? What what do you think is underrated? I'm looking at a list right now. One card that I think is underrated by people, honestly, and you guys are going to laugh, is uh, Monastery Swift Spear. (laughs) I think it's actually underrated by people for how good it is. People have slowly been starting to say, maybe this is the best card in the format. Best creature in the format, for sure. I mean, best card. Best, maybe. I mean, I, I do think it's one of the best cards in the format, and... It's one of my favorite cards to play in the format, but I actually I, I think that it's taken some time for people to wake up to that. So even though it's at the top of playlists, I sometimes wonder if people feel like it's a card I have to play if I want to play aggro instead of a card I get to play <laughs> because it's aggro because it's really, really good. Mm. You are right. It made me laugh. I got another hot take for you on overrated. Mm. What if Luris is overrated in modern? Every once in a while especially in historic I'm playing Luris and I'm like, would I be better off having some CMC other CMC cards in here? Would I be better off having showdown at the scald or whatever instead in my red white deck, for example, or would I be better off having like, I do think it, the card is very good. I would never say that it's not very, very good, but I wonder if how much of the contortion of the metagame around it is like self-imposed by people just wanting to max value instead of and sort of becoming like a lack of a lack of like differentiation in deck building as opposed to people realizing that the card is a must have in every situation where you can't do it. So I I wonder if it's a little bit overrated in that sense. I mean, what's interesting is that I'm looking at the modern metagame page on Goldfish and in the last 30 days the only the first deck that appears with Luris in it is number 8 and that's Boros prowess and yet somehow above that in fourth place is blue moon yeah i don't know what's up with that <laughs> it's just the sign but, of the times yeah but i told I, I so giving you some spicy ones for overrated and underrated there but i thought of another underrated one based on some recent modern testing i've been doing i feel like i've spent or rather wasted the last two years not playing tireless tracker with renin six gruel panza has kind of shifted to be a Karn the great creator deck again um, and it's been running Renin 6 more consistently and Tireless Trackers instead of Glorybringers. And the amount of value you generate between Tracker and Renin 6, I think is incredible. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know if it would just, if that was just too grindy and slow for what the format has been about, or if it's just something that players have maybe overlooked a little bit, but I feel so impressed with the synergy between those two all the time. When you're using Renin 6 to get back fetch lands and making two clues every turn feels good it's value baby i love it what gruel ponds is all about it's about delicious fried calzones and ongoing value all right well that wraps up this week's episode good show y'all our first ever all breakdown nearly two hours of react sode if you haven't yet make sure you subscribe to our podcast so you get the latest episodes as soon as they come out 
And if you use Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and review. If you'd like to submit a question to the podcast or pick our brain on something in magic, you can tweet us at the dive down, all one word, or email thedivedown at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show, you can join our Patreon. We're joining at any tier. Gets you access to our super secret Slack server where we've got hot spicy takes every day of the week. Sundays are pretty quiet. Yeah, you gotta... Some some days the takes are okay. Some days I look at what I said and I'm like, was I just saying that to get a response out of, out of blue cheese? Again, you can find that at patreon.com slash the dive down. As always, you can support us with mana traders while playing Magic the Gathering. If you sign up for mana traders using promo code the dive down, all one word, get 15% off your first three months of renting Magic Online cards. You can try out this Luris card that Dave says isn't very good. See for yourself whether you like it or not. If you play Magic Arena, you can support the Dive Down without spending any money by using our affiliate link to download the free deck tracking software at untapped.thedivedown.com. As always, special thanks to the bands Nowhere and Spaceblood for letting us use their music. And until next week, get out there and... Tuesday, May 11th. Video recording is go.